Hello again and welcome back to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets podcast. Uh, This week we'll be talking about the issue of the 12th of December, which is our penultimate issue uh, of the year. Uh, We're all very busy at the moment producing the bumper double issue, which comes out on the 19th of December. So once again, we are uh, woefully underprepared for today's podcast. Nevertheless, uh, there's plenty to talk about still, and uh, to join me today to talk about what's been going on uh, are Graham Davis. Hello, John. And Julia Bradshaw. Hi, John. Hello, Julia. Hello, Graham. This week we're going to talk, well, apart from uh, the the more general news, which Graham will come on to in a minute, we're going to talk Tesco, uh, which has, again, had another shocker. Julia is going to talk us through that. Julia is also going to talk to us about booze. It's the time of year where we all like to to eat, drink and be merry. But we're going to see if there's uh, still money to be made in that sector. Julia is also going to talk to us uh, again about booze, uh, wine investing, which is something that's been notoriously difficult for uh, for private investors to to access, uh, and at least to access and and actually make money. Uh, But Julia thinks uh, she's met someone who has uh, has a good way of, uh, of actually accessing what is quite an interesting market that's proved to be uh, a source of decent returns over time if you've known what you're doing. And then we're going to be dialed in by uh, Philip Bryland, who's written this week's cover feature on uh, Best Bosses. He's done, he's uh, crunched some numbers uh, to see who, who stacks up, who measures up as the, the best bosses in the FTSE. And uh, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite quite an interesting uh, interesting piece. Okay, so Graham, let's, let's start with the news. What, what's been going on this week? Well, it's been fun. It's been a busy week. Normally, it calms down a little bit this time of year, but there's been plenty going on this week. In, in the seven days section, we're talking, looking at the retail retail news. Um, Black Friday, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Julia, and um, when people were fighting over televisions in the aisles on the, on a, mm. on a, on a fri- oh, Thursday Thursday night Friday morning, very unseemly behaviour. But anyway, it seems to have worked for the UK retailers um, a bit more than the the US uh, US retailers didn't have such a great time over Black Friday. It seems to be it's working in the UK though. Um, sh- uh, sales, um, uh, let's have a look. The Black Friday online sales uh, were up thirty seven point five percent on the same day last year apparently this year and that means overall November retail sales because it was the last Friday in November were, were up by 2.2% uh, overall or 0.9% on a like for like basis so um mm better news for the retailers uh, whether it makes up for it's certainly on the clothing side of things I know Julia's been looking at some of these uh, companies in the last couple of days uh, they had a tough time in September and October because it was very warm now whether this Black Friday phenomenon and the weather bomb that we've seen in the last few days turn things a bit cold whether that's going to help I don't know Julia I don't know what your thoughts are you've been looking at Supergroup today and, 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 and companies like that yeah, I mean, honestly, for Supergroup, I don't think um, Black Friday will have will have, will have helped too much, really. Mm. Um, what about the weather bomb? The weather bomb, pow. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, that clearly is good news for Supergroup because one of their big sellers is their their sort of their, their jackets, their mm. winter jackets. But I mean, I, I doubt that that's really going to make up for a diabolical September, um, which they've just had and just reported. And they've got a lot of uh, stock to clear, too. So I think it's going to take, I think there might be a little bit more pain ahead on that front. Mm. Well, I've, I've just, you know, the, the cold weather is, uh, has, has, has hit us with Avengers. It has got mm. noticeably chillier it in the last few has. days. I mean, I, I actually popped into Debenhams about three weeks ago to buy a coat and you know the sales the sales there were, were uh, you know extraordinary I mean the discounts level of discounting was huge yeah it is it is the level of discounting is massive although I have noticed as well that Debenhams has pulled back on some of its sale items um, that it had on was it Black Friday I think it was Black mm, Friday it had mm. lots of stuff on sale and a lot of those prices now are back to full price so are they just trying to protect margins now I mean the margins must be getting hammered across the 
across the piece here. Yeah, I mean, it's always the same way around Christmas. It's highly promotional and margins do get hammered mm. and you have to, you know, if you want to get your sales through and end up with a clean stock position at the end, you have to, you have to push those sales through and one way to do that is discounting, unfortunately. And I mean, although, you know, you said Cyber Monday was up, what, 35% or something on last uh, year? Black Friday, apparently, was up 37%. Uh, well, mm. yeah, I mean, you have to bear in mind, too, with a lot of clothing retailers, online sales are growing and they're great, but they come at a lower margin, yeah. mm. don't they? So... Well, you, you, we, we talked earlier in the week about N Brown. They, they said things have got better there. Yeah, things have gotten better there. Thank, thank for you for your tip. They, they did have a very difficult um, start to the year, um, but in in October and November, things started to look up a little bit. So, so yeah, things are looking better for N Brown, which is which is good. Mm. And um, you know, the, the the U.S. the experiment over in the U.S. seems to be ticking along. And their trials with uh, bricks and mortar stores as well are going going pretty well. So, yeah, okay. keep the faith in and brown. I think one mm. thing to say here. I mean, this okay, the retailers getting hammered on margin, maybe, but surely um, as us as consumers, it, it's a good time. It's Christmas. We're getting things cheaper than they ever have been. I was looking at uh, uh, some research out this week from Good Housekeeping, which suggests that your Christmas meal is going to cost you less to cook and produce, buy and cook than it has done for several years this year. It apparently, £2.66 per person you can cook a Christmas meal yeah. for now. Um, Probably food, not you, John, because you're a vegetarian. Prices are yeah, it's always been cheap for me. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you've got places like, I think it was Little I was in the other day, where I we bought a, a stuffed duck, and mm. it was surprisingly tasty. Yep. And who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. Who, and cheap. Who would have thought that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we might as well while, while we're talking about grocery turn to Tesco, uh, yeah. mm. which uh, has had yet another shocking announcement this week. Shocking, false, false profit surprising. warning. Yeah, another profit warning. Mm. Um, Talk us through what's happened there. Well, things are a lot worse than than anyone thought they would be. Um, although this shouldn't really come as much of a surprise because they've just had such a diabolical time, really. And the new chief executive is, you know, he's got a lot of work ahead of him. Um, and the question is, I think now, whether the shares have hit rock bottom. And I think a lot of analysts called this a little bit too early. A couple mm. of months ago, people were saying, right, you know, th- this this is the bottom and we're going we're gonna to get back in. But we kept the shares on a sell. And I think that was the right call because there's a lot, there's a lot more to come. And especially, yeah, yeah. especially when, I mean, it's not just a question of, Falling volumes, falling sales, you know, bad stores, bad products. It's also this whole slightly dubious way that Tesco was accounting for some of its income. I mean, you add that to the mix and you just know that there's a lot more pain, really. In the yeah, pipeline. because the statement, the statement this week talks about uh, the way Tesco um, interacts with its suppliers. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we haven't got much detail there, but... It's not well known for, for for giving its suppliers especially generous terms. You know, it does, no, this it's change the profit out. Bad, of it. So, so I mean, what what happens here? I mean, this this does this have any enormous potential impact on profits in the future? I mean, I think even this year they're talking about you know what what what, le- what level of profit fall are they talking about? Or you know the shortfall of expectations? But you know, it's it's huge. It was figure. pretty big, and I think in the the second half they they said something like profits were coming at fifteen million. Was that right or something? Uh, I'm not sure. They said four year trading profit will not exceed one point four billion, which is twenty mm. to. 30% below the expectations. Yeah, but that which implies that in the second half, profits will only be something... They've barely made a profit. Meager. Barely yeah. made a profit. Yeah. 15 million. Yeah, it was 15 million, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know... Which is shocking. 
we don't exa- exactly know what's what's going on to have done this. We though. don't know what's going on. And um, Dave Lewis, who's the new chief executive, hasn't really been very clear on what's going on. He hasn't unveiled his strategy. But I think he said specifically that there would be more in January. I think he said January 10th or 8th. There'd be a lot more information coming out. So I think we'll get the full full terms on you know how they're going to deal with their suppliers, how they're going to recognize income. They said in the results as well that they were retraining loads of um, sort of senior management. Retraining senior management? Retraining, I mean, this, this, well, I don't, senior or management, something, yeah, something yeah. Like, which, which suggests that they're basically telling them that this is how you operated before, that's bad, mm. this is the way you need to operate now, I mean, this, this is, is good. This is root and branch, this mm. is a complete yeah. overhaul of potentially even the culture that, that's operated. The culture of the business. institution. And, and, you know, Tesco's was... You know, the, a lot of its success was put down to to the culture that it had, mm-hmm. and he's changing everything. They don't yeah. call him drastic, drastic. days for nothing. No. <laughs> and I mean, the big question is what they'll do with their overseas businesses too. Whether they'll be maybe selling some of those off, or whether yeah. they'll continue because they're doing really badly. Uh, and also, there's speculation that the full year dividend will be cut. Yeah, and a rights issue potentially as well. They're yeah, talking about that's a, that's a possibility too. And so. it's and it's got lots of little, you know, sort of uh, sort of sub brands that giraffe restaurants, giraffe uh, restaurants, Harrison Hall, Harrison Hall, Harrison yeah. Hall is Blank you know, Box. it's it's gone into so many areas. A lot of people mm. say, well, it's it's just it spread itself too thin. Yep. It should concentrate on what it does best, which is or what it which did best, grocery. which is grocery in the UK. And and you know, the thing that struck me, and you know, going back to the editorial I wrote last week in in response to a James Montier paper about. How, how companies uh, run and whose benefit they run for and, and this, this concept of shareholder value. James Montier, uh, GMO, his, his big thing is, well, customers did better when they th- thought about the customer first. And, and this seems to be what Dave Lewis is coming in and saying at Tesco. Yeah, I mean, the whole the theme running through the results, arguably, was it's all about customers putting customers first, customer service, better products. So, you know, that's a good thing because if you focus on your customers and they like you, it's good for business. Mm. So it's common sense, really. And a lot of the times, big companies lose sight of that because they're focused too much on their shareholders. Mm. Well, they often talk about it, but talking about customers and actually putting them first is, uh, a, different is a different matter yeah. altogether. You know, and actually, I saw some, I saw some, uh, I mean, if you've seen the John Lewis ad or the Waitrose ad rather this, this, this Christmas, then, you know, it is about, you know, our staff own the business. Therefore, we, we treat our customers better because, we, you know, we, they we, care. We, they care. We yeah. care about the business. I mean, which is another, and Sports Direct had results today. And I mean, we're not going to. They won't be in the magazine until next week. But um, they had they had a pretty good set of results, and they have a very well known, very generous employee um, bonus scheme. Mm. So they treat their employees well, and their employees offer top customer service. Because well, not necessarily the ones not that necessarily. are on the zero hours contract. <laughs> no, but the ones that are on the bonus scheme are incentivized, just yeah. like the the staff at John Lewis and Waitrose. Mm. I've got to say, I mean, Sports Direct is uh, an interesting company. Um, you know, Dave uh, Dave Lewis and Mike Ashley um, has has obviously come in for some strong criticism over the years for his his approach to corporate governance and his his general approach towards the stock market. Um, I actually think he does a pretty good job at Sports Direct, and you know, whilst in the past those shops were chaotic shambolic uh and and had a reputation for for cheapness and deservedly so you know my family spends a lot of money in their uh, you know kids pe kit uh it's it's great the 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 you know the expansion of the ranges they seem to be going up market the stores are looking you know a lot mm. better than they used to um, mm-hmm. but it's still very affordable and i you know i think he's doing a, a cracking job there yeah he uh, is mm. and the staff are i give you that the staff whenever i've been in sports direct the staff are very good mm. oh, very helpful very so. Mm. okay so uh tesco uh that's that's possibly enough of that. i mean you know except to, to perhaps ask the question 
when do we think we would perhaps reassess our case, our our, our view on it? You know, when, when when would we be looking for signs that we might? Uh, well, we'll certainly buy? we'll certainly wait until January till we get a little bit more clarity yeah. from management on what's going on. We'll reassess the situation, and if we think that the worst is behind us, maybe we'll reassess the situation. But I'm still quite wary of Tesco, to be perfectly honest. Mm. So. Um, yeah, we're, we'll keep a close eye on it, and as soon as we think the tide's changing, we'll change our view, but it probably won't be for a couple of months. Yeah, I mean, as I say this week, I'm happy, and I, I presume you are as well, Julia, to miss a little bit of upside if the recovery, if the, the tide does start to turn, just sure. to make sure to that it's sure. entrenched. Mm. And because we've had so many profit warnings, if there's a, even if there's sort of a whiff of a little bit of bad news, there'll be a huge overreaction, no doubt. Mm. So that can't be good. Um, I mean, is it, is it worth perhaps chatting briefly about, you know, the read across from the sector? Because, you know, Sainsbury's has, has had a pretty horrible performance this year too do we think this, i mean you know some of these problems are obviously of tesco's own making but i mean is this this a, a structural problem that 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 has to be overcome by the sector as a whole I mean, well it is and and it's i mean it's it's partly it's sentiment so it is going to affect sainsbury's and and morrison's but but you're right there is a massive structural change going on in the in the food retail market and it's unprecedented really uh it's it's the you know the um not just not just sort of falling food prices not just the advent of the internet and online shopping but we've got these discount retailers who've come in aldi and little and unlike a few years ago when they tried to conquer the uk market and sort of failed they've done a really good job Mm. now and they're really popular and what's really frightening the likes of tesco and sainsbury's is they're attracting middle class shoppers and that's not what they were doing before a few years ago you would never be caught dead in an aldi or a little as a middle class shopper and now you know everyone's there and everyone's at it so well i think it goes back to the point you made about the you know the stuffed duck of surprisingly high quality i think you know they they they, they're they're matching up to the the big boys in in terms of uh, the quality of of products good good quality good range of products and great prices Mm. And that's you know that's that's something that should really sort of strike fear into the hearts of the senior management okay. at Sainsbury's. And well, Tesco. let's let's hope they do something about it. They certainly didn't feature highly on the uh, the bosses ranking that we're going to talk about with Philip shortly. Um, talking of bargains, Graham and I we stumbled across a website this week. Uh, mm. Market market dot market dot com, John. Yes. Um, and how much does everything on market dot com cost? Everything's five, John. Everything's five. It's just like a proper <laughs> a proper old school street market, which is funny because it is actually connected to. Camden Market. What a brilliant, what a brilliant segue that was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Camden Market's in the news this week because um, it, it's going to be floated on AIM. Oh my gosh, the whole mm. market. The whole market is owned wow. by Market Tech, which is controlled by an Israeli entrepreneur called Teddy Saggy. Who we know uh, very well. Ah, yes. The old, Playtech uh, founder. How yeah. interesting. Um, and he's patched, uh, patched together a few bits and bobs of, uh, of, of, uh, of real estate in Camden, all the different bits of market, and he's patched them all together into, uh, into, into one, and uh, it's looking for a valuation of £750 million. Okay, do, do we have a view on whether that's, that's realistic? Do we not know enough about the business? yet to, to really uh, know whether that represents decent value or not. I mean, it's prime real estate in London. I mean, mm. you know, there's got to be some value on the, on the assets um, and there is development potential there. I know they're building, they're, they have plans to smarten up some of the areas of the market to, yeah. to build new retail bits. They're also talking about building a bit of residential in a school in one of the, you know, it's, a, it's a looking like a proper development company. So okay. I, I don't really have the property expertise to value it in that way, but yeah, uh, it looks very interesting. So, okay. are they looking to get rid of some of the sort of more sort of scrappy 
I haven't been to Camden Market in a long time. Market so holders, I, will, holders, I don't know what it's like these days. The last time I went, it wasn't. Yeah, there was there was corners of it that were a bit less. A bit, yeah. I mean, Teddy Teddy Saggy is an interesting character. I mean, he, he you know, I'm not going to say that he's is Israel's answer to Mike Ashley, but I mean, he ha- he has yeah. you know, there is a similar love hate between between him and and the city. Yeah. Um, he's again a guy not well known for necessarily following the rules. Exactly as they're laid out in terms of the way you know corporate governance is expected to to be handled. Um, you know, there's been a lot of with Playtex or mm. intercompany purchases, blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, um, but he's, he seems to deliver the goods in terms of his share price performance. Playtex done all right over the years. And, yeah, uh, Playtex, what, a two billion pound company now. Playtex, yeah, a big yeah. operation. And look at the job it did for William Hill on the digital side of things, and now it's doing the same job for Ladbrokes. You know. Playtex a proper company. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Canada Markets, you know, again, this is uh, something that uh, it does look interesting to me. We work uh, uh, around the corner to Borough Market. Mm. And, you know, Borough Market is something that you know, certainly the years I've been working here is, has, has become very much a tourist destination. It's Absolutely. moved up market. Mm. And, you know, you can certainly see the value that a bit of, bit of estate management can create in something in an asset like that. I, I, I think this is quite interesting. Yeah. Definitely one to watch. No, it is. Uh, they, they want to. They, I think they want this. Uh, the shares to be uh, trading before Christmas as well. So it's going to happen quite quickly. Okay. Well, at which More point we'll uh, we'll have a view on, uh, mm. on whether we think they're worth buying. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on. I think probably that's enough on the uh, the general news front. Uh, Julia, a couple of things you've written this week. Um, let's go through them briefly. Uh, sector focus, mm-hmm. uh, booze. Yeah, we did a little update on the booze sector, which uh, in the UK is basically just three companies, CNC, yep. SAB Miller and Diageo. And just kind of outlining how the sector is done and where it is and where we think it's going to go. And it's if any uh, listeners are interested, they can also see the video on the website. Yeah which we've done. Um, basically, the it's it's been an interesting time for, for beverage makers this year. It was, they had a bit of a wobble at the start of the year. Um, it's a well-documented decline in emerging markets, the weakening economies there, and uh, the weakening currencies too uh, was quite painful for the likes of Diageo and for SAB Miller. Mm. Uh, the anti-extravagance measures in China really, 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 and is still hitting sales at Diageo because whiskey, sort of premium whiskey, was a big seller in China. Um, but now, sort of the the stocks are sort of rebounding a little, and there there's a sense that you know as the markets are becoming slightly more volatile, that that the beverage sector is more of a defensive play. Really, um, the shares aren't particularly cheap; they're not particularly expensive, but they're sort of trading in line, I'd say, with their historical average. Maybe a little bit more expensive. So those are the main those are the main themes in terms of where we're at now. Um, the big, the most interesting thing is the potential for M and A, of course, in the sector. And we've had a lot of sort of rumors brewing. No pun intended. Uh, about SAB Miller and um, Anheuser Busch mm-hmm. too. So uh, I mean, the general consensus seems to be that SAB Miller is in play and might be at some point an acquisition target because the sector is sort of increasingly, even though it is it is quite sort of distilled down to just a few sort of big players. There's still potential for M and A because they've been spending the past few years streamlining, cutting costs. Um, and now, you know, some of them are quite cash rich. And now it's a question of whether, you know, how to sort of consolidate that and what to do with all that cash. Mm, give it back. And I think well, one of the things yeah. you, mentioned, you mentioned in this week's uh, this week's piece is that there's, you know, the possibility of, of you know, nice, nice dividend increase on the way next year. Again. Yeah, that, that's another thing that there might be exactly um, dividend increase next year. And uh, yeah, so we'll see. So it's sort of slow and steady and, and potential for further 
for their M&A. That, that's really, those are the main themes, mm. um, effectively. And one thing I didn't mention, I think, in the sector focus was the craft beer revolution, too, which is just an interesting side note. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's slightly worrying for some of the big guys, but because it, it is a big and growing sector. And it, in the US, it's massive. But they, I mean, people like SAB have invested in, in craft have, brewers. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's they've been, they've been busy snapping up a lot of small brewers and things like that. So they do have exposure, it's exposure to the market increasingly. Yeah increasing exposure but it's just an interesting thing to be aware of because you've got the likes of Brewdog here you've got Meantime you've yep. got Brewers Union you've got lots of little ones sort of that are sort of taking market share as well Well it's interesting you mentioned Brewdog because uh, there's, a, there's a nice link there with Camden Market because uh, you wrote about Brew, Brewdog it's one of the I first did, things I you did, did a, when you joined us I did fact, a blog which, a couple uh, of years ago um, but no they so they I mean they're quite interesting they they brew Lager mm. uh, of varying strengths, including a tactical nuclear penguin. I think was their uh, their super strength lager. Uh, but they they also open bars, which is an interesting strategy. Having raised a lot of money in this sort of. Uh a uh, self-managed share issue. Yeah, scheme, equity for which punks, is, which is really, really quite interesting, quite successful for them. It is as interesting. Well. It's, I mean, it's a, it's questionable whether or not, as an investor, you'd ever get your money back. Mm. Um, but you don't really invest in a company like that to see a massive return. You invest because you believe in the company, you believe in beer, and you believe in the craft brew re- revolution and that kind of thing. And as a shareholder, you get massive perks as well, and you can attend the AGM and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So that's what it's really meant for. And you're right; they do have they're opening up bars all over the country. There's one in Shepherd's Bush. I don't, noticed recently oh, did they have one there as well? yeah there's okay. one there so yeah it's interesting actually well, I, I think as well they um just if i remember rightly they did a deal um with sierra nevada which is one of the u.s craft brewers quite mm. quite a big one and uh, they, they've got some really experienced management on board there who've, who've built and sold these businesses up before so you know brewdog might be one of the assets that that one of these these big you know global yeah. brewers might be looking out for by all means uh, we said that in the blog i think that if brewdog becomes successful that it could potentially be snapped up by one of the bigger guys so you know watch this space so who knows happens. that 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 little lifestyle investment that uh, quite a few people made could could end up being quite, quite yeah, in a, um, including my brother-in-law. Oh, did you buy some? Well, I well, bought a share for Christmas. Oh, you bought them, did. Yeah, wonderful. Maybe I shouldn't say that on a podcast. But no, it's oh, fine. Well. <laughs> I think we can uh, let's, let's, we, we, full disclosure here. Um, okay, so I mean, let's turn turn from. Uh, from uh, from beer and and spirits to wine, which you also wrote about this week. I did, yeah, an interesting little piece actually, on um, on investing in fine wines. We do a wine investment piece pretty much every year around Christmas, don't we? Something similar. Well, yeah, we've done a, we've done a few, yeah. um, but I mean, this one has a slightly different flavour to yeah, it. Yeah, it's a different because you, you've met a guy called Nick Martin who's who's developed something that's really quite interesting and and, and can give retail investors. You know the the exposures that have been previously hard to get that yeah, only exactly. the, 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 the you know very wealthy or institutional wine exactly. Have I got. mean traditionally it's quite. I mean you can it, you can invest in fine wine, but it, traditionally it's been it's been pretty difficult. You have to go through a wine merchant, and it, it is a sort of long and protracted process, and you need a lot of time on your hands. So it really has only been the preserve of very wealthy people. And Nick Martin, who I met, he's a really nice, very affable guy. Um, he was a wine lover, started investing in wine, and then he sort of tearing his hair out because it was so complicated and he thought I can do better and he's comes from sort of data sort of he's a data geek self-confessed data geek comes from a technical background so he thought I can build a platform to let ordinary people gain exposure to basically the secondary wine market which is what he's done which is wineowners.com and it's really easy to use and it's kind of like Hargreaves Lansdowne I mean that's the best comparison of the wine world so you can keep track of all of your wines, even the old stuff that you've got, sort of, you know, if you have a cellar or wherever in your closet. Or <laughs> a bottle of mold wine that's been in, in the cupboard. cupboard for two yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> so you can keep all of that on this online portfolio. And it also, 
as well as that, you can trade the wines. So you can sort of trade it openly on the free sort of secondary market, and okay. he's facilitated that. And it's small. I mean, he, it, it's it's not it's not huge, but it's sort of growing gradually. And it is a good way if you want exposure, maybe to start out. Sort of, yeah. It's a good platform, basically. Okay, and the returns for wine. I mean, looking at the there's a couple of graphs you've uh, you provided. Uh, they're pretty good. I mean, so he, he the wine owners have developed their own index, mm-hmm. uh, but but you know if you break it down then by some of the various uh, types of wine, you know there there are some really strong performers there, hundreds of percent over. Yeah, they have. And I mean, some of that was down to Bordeaux did, has been doing well it, until the bubble burst. Bordeaux did really well until about 2011 when the bubble burst on the back of. Chinese demand, which then mm. sort of collapsed. But yeah, the returns have been pretty solid. And I think um, Nick Martin was keen to stress that the main thing with wine is even though Bordeaux is sort of the, the, the is responsible for the lion's share of sort of fine wine investing, that key is diversification, like with equities. Yep. So don't just look at Bordeaux, look at Burgundy, look at Californian wines, look at Italian wines, do a lot of research, see what you can get, and yeah, just just go for it. And the returns can be can be pretty good. And they're not, I mean, they're, they're long-term, though. I think Barry Brothers and Nick Martin both say sort of 10 years is kind of the the sort of minimum that you want to be looking at potentially. Well, I think that seems very sensible. Um, you know, we, we would encourage people to take a similarly long-term approach with equities too. Sure. Um, you know, and, and when I was reading through some of the tips that uh, that Nick provides, um, you know, it does seem like there are there are strong similarities. You know, the diversification thing that you mm. mentioned for one, but, you know, there is there is certain... Uh, 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 yeah, the hunting for value approach that you can you yeah. can adopt as well, which quite you know it's almost like stock picking. Yeah, and it's kind of strange to think that you can hunt for value in a wine, and and but you know Nick says he says well if you you know if you if you if you find a wine that you think is undervalued but in demand and its peers are doing really well, just like the same way you stock pick, like you said, then yeah. you know it could be in, in a few years time it could make for a good investment. And also, fine wine is always going to be in demand because people like wine, they like drinking it. So you kind of have this sort of supply and demand um, side of things there. So it's not necessarily as risky as some people might think it is, although it is unregulated, so you do have to be a bit careful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thought it was a great article, really, really very interesting indeed, uh, and really highlighted how little I know about wine. Oh, yeah, and Nick's predictions are very useful if any of our um, listeners... Are, are interested. His 2015 predictions can be sort of a helping hand if they want to get onto the wine investing ladder. Okay, well, I've got one prediction that all the wine in my cupboard will not exist. Uh, <laughs> okay, thank you, Julia. Um, now I think it's time to uh, get Philip Ryland on the phone, who uh, is going to talk us through the excellent cover feature he's written this week. Hello, Philip. Hi, John. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty well. Good. Um, so, so the feature this week um, is called The Best Bosses. We've got a picture of, uh, of four of them on the front cover, all looking very uh, usual suspects. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, talk us through the thinking behind this feature. Okay. Well, it began um, as an exercise to see uh, how FTSE bosses really performed uh, and whether we could uh, spot some sort of common factors that, uh, that led to that good performance, if indeed the performance was good. So I started crunching some data, and uh, the data threw up the uh, the odd yet intriguing possibility that bosses, on average, really did outperform, implying that hey, they really are worth all that money they, in effect, pay themselves. And the other odd thing was that the longer the boss was in the job, uh, the better the outperformance uh, seemed. Um, so this was really rather amazing, but it also defied belief, um, and then we found not so much when we had crunched the data, but when we sat back and thought, okay, what's really happening here? 
then we kind of realized that uh, two statistical quirks were, uh, were driving this, uh, this outperformance by FTSE bosses. The first is what's called survivor bias, which I'll explain in, in a minute if you want me to. Yes, please. And the, the second one, uh, the second big factor was uh, the fact that our averages were based on the unweighted returns of um, the, uh, the 100 stocks in the FTSE index, whereas, of course, in, in the index itself, those returns are weighted towards uh, big companies. Uh, the bigger the company, the bigger the, value, the market value of the company, the greater its effect on the market's performance. And it just so happens that in the past few years, the performance of the biggest companies in the market, the likes of Vodafone, um, Shell, HSBC, they have been particularly poor performers. So in effect, therefore, the smaller companies within the index have tended to do better and that dragged up uh, the average returns for, for our bosses. Right. Okay. And yeah, I think you say there's a stat. Five companies account for almost 29% of the FTSE 100's weighted performance. So, That's uh, it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Extraordinary. Okay, so 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 in essence, what we're saying is that they're, they're all pretty average. <laughs> I mean, it's, this, it's not necessarily the, uh, the, the outcome we wanted because, you know, we... It, it has been notoriously difficult to, to work out whether, as you say, bosses are worth the money we pay them. Um, you know, isn't this somewhat disappointing, that this outcome? Uh, well, I'm not sure. that you know, Can the facts ever be disappointing? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Um, I mean, there were some, there were some intriguing things, that, uh, some intriguing factors that cropped up along the way. One, particular, one thing that I particularly wanted to, to examine was whether or not um, overseas bosses tend to do better than, um, than UK-based bosses. You know, we hear a lot about uh, the global marketplace for bosses now, and it just so happens that um, uh, in the UK, the FTSE companies in the UK, they are particularly internationally minded um, if, you, uh, if you look at the number of um, overseas bosses who run UK companies. Basically, 43 of the 100 are run by... Um, guys and just one or two girls from uh, from overseas whereas the global average for uh the 500 biggest companies in the world is something like i think it's 12 percent so you've got an awful lot of foreigners uh running uk running uk footsie companies and i kind of wondered if that would be a factor which might uh, which might um, point up uh, performance or lack of performance in fact as far as one can tell the overseas bosses they don't really do terribly well at all. Their average position, this is 43 out of 100, so that's a pretty big sample in 100. You would think their average position should be pretty much round about 50. Well, it's not that far from 50th, it's 55th. But it's, uh, it's not a terribly good performance. Uh, overseas bosses, they tend, to, they tend not to do as well as, uh, as they should amongst the very best performers, and they tend to do worse than they should amongst the very, the very uh, worst performers. Mm. Could this also be explained partly by that weighting uh, quirk that you talked about? That uh, so, um, Vodafone, for example, is run by uh, Vittorio Colaio, who's who's obviously a foreign boss. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, Italian, John. <laughs> indeed, he is Italian. Uh, but you know, so, so the, presumably the weighting there. Yeah, it could be because because the miners, m- mining companies have done particularly badly, and mining companies probably because of where they tend to come from, Australia, South Africa, they also tend to be run by foreigners. Mm. So, I think you mentioned you know, Ivan Glasenberg, who, who comes from everywhere. According to, uh, he, comes, he has four nationalities. Incredible. He comes from almost anywhere, everywhere. Um, another factor that I, that I was uh, interested to examine is whether or not um, there's a link between age and performance. In other words, uh, 
you would well you would ask yourself um do you want your boss to be young or do you want him to be older than average the average is about 54 and a half can you spot um let's say um an improvement in performance with 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 the age of the boss uh the long and the short of that that proposition lends itself very nicely to a regression model but the long and the short of it is there seems to be absolutely no correlation between age and performance so that went went that went right out of the window um can I mention MBAs and accountants, which was rather intriguing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you'd expect the the, the best qualified to uh, to do best. Is that is that necessarily the case? Um, I'm not sure about that, but it was it was interesting and a bit surprising to me because the U, you know the UK is supposed to we are supposed to favour financial engineers who run our, to run our companies. The Germans prefer real engineers to run their companies. Uh, UK uh, UK companies prefer to. Uh, they, the shareholders prefer them to be run by um, financial engineers. So you expect to see a lot of accountants running UK companies, uh, UK FTSE companies. In fact, there's only 12 companies uh, run, 12 out of 100 run by uh, accountants, whereas uh, it's 20 run by MBAs. Um, yet the MBAs seem to perform disproportionately badly. Um, the accountants perform better than average. Um, Somewhere I have some statistics. Can I ever find these while I'm uh, while I'm scraping around? Um, naturally, of course, John, I can't find that particular doesn't, stat doesn't as, as, as I'm talking about it. But uh, the the average performance of MBAs was disappointing. The average performance of accountants, however, that that was well, that was really rather good. Um, there's nothing scientific there, but that was kind of that was kind of intriguing. Did we find any factors that that really? pointed to strong out or that that you know shared the, the characteristic of strong performance uh no i don't think so i don't think so the the strongest characteristic is is age in the job in other words uh the bosses who are most likely to produce an average sort of performance will have been in their job for an average length of time uh the bosses who are most likely to produce a good or a bad level of performance in other words the guys at the extremes of performance extremely good, extremely bad, they will tend to be to have been in their job for the shortest length of time. Um, that, that finding was pretty clear if you look at the performance of, of the whole of the 100 bosses in the index. If you just take the, and this is perhaps more significant, if you just take the, the 62 bosses who had been in their job for at least two and a half years, uh, if you say to yourself, okay, less than two and a half years, that's not enough to judge. So we'll forget about all the guys and girls who haven't been there doing the, being the boss for, 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 for two and a half years. Indeed, including we'll, poor, we'll, poor old Dave Lewis at Tesco, who, uh, who's uh, <laughs> propping up the list, um, poor old, sadly. Yeah, Dave Lewis, look, we can be sure Dave Lewis's relative performance will improve in time. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Absolutely. He, is, he and Mike Coop, the two, uh, Mike Coop of Sainsbury's, those two are propping it up, but um, there's every chance they won't be propping it up uh, in, uh, in well, if they're still in the job in two or three years' time. Mm. Uh, quite where they'll be, however, is another matter. Okay. Um, there was another interesting uh, point you made, another uh, kind of uh, sort of uh, anecdotal observation, which I quite liked, was that yeah. um, the, the low-profile bosses tend to do quite well, <laughs> which, is, uh, which I thought right, was quite interesting. Indeed. Is it a coincidence that uh, neither of the top two performers, um, the top two, um, l- well, the, yeah, 
the top two performers of the core 62 companies, uh, Simon Burrows, who runs uh, 3i, the, uh, the private equity uh, firm. He's, he's, he, I mean, he hasn't been there in an enormously long time. So He has been in there two and a half years, very maybe. conveniently. He is in there at the cutoff point 2.5 years. Uh, that very fact, you know, that very fact might be significant. Mm. But he and Jeff Drabble of Ashstead, who are the top two long performers, neither of those two have uh, a Wikipedia entry. And there aren't many FTSE bosses who don't have Wikipedia entries by now. Uh, those two don't. And it's also noticeable that amongst those other top ten performers uh, of the guys who've been in there for more than, um, more than two and a half years, there are others, people like, uh, I don't know, Keith Cochrane at uh, the Weir Group or, um, or Ian Gorham at Hargreaves Lansdowne, uh, Peter Rogers at Babcock International. They're not really household names um, within the context of uh, FTSE 100 bosses. Mm. I think it's quite interesting. Um, you know, I desperately want to believe that, that, that there is something that we can find that, that you know, helps us to spot a good manager. I, I, because I do believe, as I say in my editorial this week, that management matters. Um, but it is quite useful to try, to try and put some numbers on that. And we, we're going to carry this on, I hope, Philip. Are we uh, planning to...? Uh, I think, yeah, the aim is to, uh, to do it again in a year's time, to do it and improve it in a year's time, uh, and maybe in a year's time we'll look at the performance of these guys uh, relative to the to the sector in which they play rather in relation to the market as a whole that might uh, that might uh, um, prove uh, show up some significant results and the other thing that i'd kind of like to do easier said than done but it would be nice to do it is to factor in some sort of relationship between what in effect they pay themselves and their performance. Mm. Uh, if we do that, then we really might start to get some uh, some interesting results. Okay, there's a lot. It sounds like a lot of number crunch, and I think somewhere in the piece, there's a there's a plea for uh, for uh, some assistance from uh, from uh, someone from perhaps the world of academia to come and uh, come I and think, lend us some support uh, yeah, here. Yeah, well, look, I, I think as 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 I think I said in my piece, and I think uh, as we uh, we mentioned to each other the other day, uh, this sort of thing is just. It's just crying out for a doctoral student to uh, take three months off and um, so a doctoral finance student to take three months off and crunch some numbers and come up with um, uh, a PhD thesis and perhaps the basis of, of, a, of an exchange-traded funds and, uh, and who knows what else. Indeed, well, it's a smart base type fund. Um, based on pause. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Sounds good. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Philip. Um, and uh, speak soon. Okay, thank take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, and that just about wraps up uh, everything uh, we wanted to talk about this week, um, except to run you through what else we've got in the magazine. A lot in the fun section and the personal finance section that, that we haven't talked about on the podcast. Uh, we've taken a look at the biotech sector, which has been a very strong performer, uh, to see whether there's any value left there, and uh, and if so, which funds you, uh, you might buy to access that. We've got a, a nice piece on self-invested personal pension, SIPs, which uh, points to some unusual assets that you might put in uh, in your SIP that, that could indeed give you a more satisfying retirement. Um, we've taken a look at uh, the relationship between uh, VCTs and EIS is the, uh, the tax efficient vehicles uh, and re- the renewable energy sector. There's been some changes uh, in the recent autumn statement that could affect that sector. So worth uh, worth taking a look there. And of course, all the usual uh, company results, stock screens and tips. So uh, pick that up in your uh, your nearest news agent for uh, the uh, princely sum of £4.10 or uh, on iPad or uh, Android for uh, $3.99. Thank you very much and uh, see you next week. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.